Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Welcome back. We're your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today is the founder of Morgan James Publishing, David Hancock. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here with you guys. Absolutely. We're so glad to have you. So to get started and just jump right in, will you tell our listeners just a little bit about your background and what inspired you to create Morgan James Publishing? Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> we have as we're much good. time as you want. Yeah, we're good, David. <laughs> well, we'll go back to birth, but definitely God had a plan for me when we started this. But I'll give you the short version. So I was a baker back in the 90s. Fat, dumb, and happy. Never imagined doing anything else. I mean, they were paying me stupid money for college dropout. Very blessed. I, just, I found my niche. But in that, I realized pretty quickly that I was competing with a thousand people just like me. Literally, a thousand people in my community alone were all offering the exact same product and service to the consumer. And now, granted, it was regulated mortgage products with different names, but it was there. And I started to feel that heat. And I just started a path of self improvement. Yeah, how can I stay on top? What is it that was making me a success? And my bosses were leaning into me about duplicating myself because we were doing well. And I didn't know exactly what it was. So short version again, yeah, is I discovered guerrilla marketing and realized I was a success because I was a guerrilla and didn't know it. I was leveraging my time, my energy, and my imagination, my relationships, serving others, helping others to realize my success. And it had very little to do with the $100,000 a month we were spending in advertising. We were doing that because everybody else was, but it really wasn't what was making me a success. Ended up developing a relationship with the author, Jay Conrad Levinson, of Real Marketing, and became fast friends. And I know hiring was a coach, though he didn't necessarily teach me anything more than I already knew, but he did compel me to do one thing that ended up changing my life from a banking perspective, but then opening my career, which I guess is still my life. But anyhow, uh, he got me to write my first book. Yeah, made me you know step out and show that I was an authority in this space. I, I knew what I was talking about. I was the right person to talk about. And with his guidance, I ended up writing it and didn't realize that was a hard thing to do and ended up getting it published. And that alone literally doubled my income. I really was able to leverage the power of a book to open up doors, create you know, awareness that I was the right person to talk to. My negotiation went away. Nobody negotiated with my fees anymore. It was just it was an amazing tool from a business perspective. And I started speaking on the topic and it was amazing. But typical traditional publishing is the publishers buy your intellectual property and do with it as they please. So I didn't have anything to do with the book. Once I turned it in, they didn't like the cover, they added content, and I never had a relationship with the publisher, but I was still able to leverage it. But it was just frustrating, but it worked. But I didn't well enough that they made me do two more books, which I didn't really want to do with that publisher because I had, again, no relationship with them and they did things without me. But I was under contract. I had to do it. So I begged my friend, my new friend, Jay Levinson, to co-author with me. So we started, uh, I started writing in the Gorilla series in the 90s and he said yes. And so with him, I published the second and third book. And even with him as a co-author, we still struggle with the relationship with the publisher. No input, no help, no business. It was frustrating. And then after those books did well, 
again, this is a short version. I'm sorry, Katie, but <laughs> but uh, after those books did well, and I realized, hey, I don't need the publishing anymore. I'm just going to self-publish, you know, because that's better than doing nothing at all. And why do I need a publisher? Because I'm already a best-selling author. And uh, realized that there were some things that I really liked about the traditional side that I couldn't do on the self-publishing side. For instance, bookstore distribution, credibility in the media. The media would not talk to me on my self-published books, but they would talk to me all day long about my you know, traditional books. I couldn't get any bookstore distribution. They just wouldn't carry a self-published book. So it was a little frustrating. But I really loved being a complete control. Not that I'm a control freak. And I was sitting down with Jay one day because I had made enough friends in the space. I had talked to other authors and I'm out speaking on my topics, which by the way, every time I created a PowerPoint presentation to go speak on my book topics, the publisher had to approve it. Of course, he always would never say yes. You always have to tinker with it. It was totally, totally crazy. But I had made enough friends to realize that they were having similar issues too. The entrepreneurially minded authors were struggling with that relationship or the self-published authors were struggling with the credibility and distribution. So I sat down with my hero friend, Jay, and said, you know, someone's got to fix publishing. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody came up with a publishing house that kind of blended the best of both worlds? You know, credibility, distribution, opportunity of a traditional house, but tech never stay the heck out of the way of the entrepreneur, but help them with the things that they don't know. Give them the tools that they need and the flexibility and make decisions together with them and let them own it so they can still create other things around it. So I gave that to Jay and Jay said, this is wonderful. Now go do it. And you know, I was like, well, no, I can, you know, I can busy day job. But I guess God's timing was better. We were best, obviously. And so I know my bride said, hey, compelled to do this. I'm already kind of playing in that space anyhow, helping friends out. And sure enough, we launched Morgan James, which is named after my kids, in uh, 2003. And it's funny, I, I had a really good idea. And that was it. I had to earn everything else. I had nothing but my rugged good looks, which was questionable. And a really good idea and just had to earn the rest. But we started Morgan Jams with a whole hope that one day, hopefully, we'd have that look and feel and smell of a traditional house, but really lean into that relationship with the authors, help the authors realize their goals. Because, you know, it happens. I mean, Zig Ziglar teaches this and more we can help others realize their goals and where our goals are going to be met. And sure enough, just favor after favor kept opening up and uh, just grew into where we are 20 years later. So that was a very long answer to a very short, simple sounding question. No, I love that. So one of the things I was actually going to ask you about was that one of the things you say is that you've revolutionized publishing from the author's standpoint. And I know Stan knows a lot about that as a published author himself who's been through this process. And Stan always says, nothing bonds you with other people quite like publishing your own book and knowing that they've published a book because it's a it's a rigorous process and you really put yourself out there. So Stan, I know you have tons of questions for David. What do you have? Yeah, I do. I just, yeah, I, not a question so much as a comment I want to make, David, that I, I want to express, I don't think envy is the right word, but awe, maybe awe is the word. Uh-huh. Uh, because, you know, as I thought about this interview that we were going to have with you today, I realized that as a publisher, you have an, an, just an incredible outsized megaphone for good because you can find people that have useful, powerful ideas and really give them, uh, put legs on that and put it out in the world. And that must be something that you think about. Oh my gosh, it really is. And it is so rewarding to see somebody that's got a really good idea at the right time or passionate about their topic and they're changing lives or creating relationships on their own or solving problems. It's just, it's so rewarding to see and be a part of. Absolutely. And just that you know, having an audience, I mean, having an idea is a really cool thing, but put it in a book and I think about this some, you know, I think there are people occasionally reading my book and they're reading it 
you know, at times when I may be on vacation or maybe sleeping or not even thinking about it, right? And so my ideas, you know, are gaining lift while I'm off doing other things, right? And just, I love the leverage of that. Oh, absolutely. And they have the ability to reach people that are so far outside of your current circle of influence. It's just amazing. You know, somebody wandering through the airport bookstore grabbing your book that you would never have met or come across are now engaged with you and they're, they're transforming their lives and hopefully connecting to being with you. But yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. So obviously working at the publishing house, that keeps you pretty busy. But beyond that, I also had a couple of other questions because you are a part of a couple of organizations I really wanted to highlight. So beyond just your work in the publishing world, you are a part, well, let's see, you're the president of the executive board for Habitat for Humanity. I feel like most listeners have heard of Habitat for Humanity, but tell us just a little bit about what got you involved with that and the work that you do through Habitat for Humanity. Oh, I love serving Habitat. In fact, I've been blessed to have been on the board in various roles over the years since 2000, I think, five. But I was introduced to Habitat when I was um, a builder. I used to, before I was a baker, I was a home builder, a custom home builder in the early 90s. And I'm a big fan of home ownership. I love the community aspect that it can create. I bought my first house when I was 20 years old. It was just instilled in me by my parents that you know ownership would be better than renting. And I just, you know, grew up with knowing the power of owning your own home. And then when I became a, a banker, we supported Habitat and the community as we could. And so I was familiar with them. And uh, me, from a personal perspective, I've always you know, believed in tithing, giving back above and beyond. So when I launched Morgan James, I'm thinking, okay, I feel like I have a corporate responsibility to do that same thing. And so I'm like, well, who do I love that wouldn't alienate anybody that could be nationally recognized? I said, well, I've got a relationship with Habitat already. Let me just reach out. And sure enough, after a couple of little, you know, nothing's ever as easy as that, but managed to get them to say, hey, yes, let's partner together. So I wanted to raise awareness. I couldn't, you know, in the early days, I didn't have any money to give them yet. But I'm like, you want to raise awareness. I want to make sure people know who you are. I want to create opportunities for donations. I want to create opportunities for a volunteer. And it just, it just seemed to be the right idea. It just clicked with everybody when we started um, promoting Habitat as our, as our charitable give back. And it's been so much fun. And we donate books to the homeowners. And for years, we just had physical wealth books, you know, the business books, the self-help, the how-to, the kind of stuff, which is good. And we started incorporating clean fictions with clean entertainment form. And then finally, over the years, we started doing a small kids lives. We had then books to give to the kids. It was just phenomenal. Transformed the lives of those families as they got into the houses. And then uh, once a year, and look forward to doing it hopefully again this year, we missed during COVID, of course, but our staff would build a house in Southeastern Virginia too as part of our give back. It was so much fun. So I don't know if I answered the question, but I surely enjoyed talking about it. <laughs> you did. No, you did. And I think my favorite part, and this I really want to highlight for our listeners, my favorite part about your story with a Habitat for Humanity is that kind of whatever phase of life you were in, that is the gifting that you contributed to Habitat for Humanity. So when you're a builder, it's that, and you're a publisher, and now it's that, and serving on the board certainly has a lot to do with that as well and, and does such a great thing for the cause. So for our listeners who are maybe interested in being a part of something like Habitat for Humanity or one of the other you know millions of incredible organizations that exist, just know that you don't have to be a wealthy business person to get started. You can start contributing on a very basic day-to-day -day level, whether that's actually getting out there and helping build houses or 
owning your own publishing firm and publishing a book line for Habitat for Humanity. So I love that you were involved with that every step of the way. Stan, what are your thoughts and questions for David about his work with Habitat? So, you know, you've had some hands-on stuff there. It's not just about giving books or giving money. It's also about being up close and personally involved in it, right? And so I'm guessing you've had the opportunity to connect with families that have actually gotten the house. And just talk about that for a minute. What's the impact that has on a family? Bring tissue boxes because it is such a real, real impact and, and not I'm blessed. I have the ability because we have such an amazing staff here. Morgan James and I have time to do this, but I will go and speak at the groundbreakings. I'll go speak at the home dedication. I'll get a chance to to, to hug the homeowners. And unfortunately, it's typically you know a single parent with a couple of kids. So to be able to to see how that just getting them out of a rough situation into a more secure home, more safe in the neighborhoods of people that actually care about you know what's going on in the world, it is very very powerful. And one thing that's really cool about Habitat that people often misunderstand is Habitat doesn't give these houses away. Habitat is offering a hand up, not a hand out. These you know, homeowners have to have good credit. They have to have stable jobs. Certainly they can be or are always from a low income environment, but they do pay for the house, but they pay only the construction cost and they pay a 0% interest mortgage for 30 years. So it definitely is, they're investing in it with them. They even have to put some volunteer time into their house or someone else's time to, to really get vested in the process with them. So it's just, it, it's so transformative. The kids help. It's hard to describe, man. It just, it's the neighborhood comes out, the community leaders come out when we donate those, when we dedicate those houses to those homeowners. And it's just a tearful, joyful, tearful moment. That's, That's beautiful. Good. Yeah. So beyond just your work with Habitat for Humanity, and running your own publishing company. You're also the chairman of the board for the National Center for the Prevention of Community Violence. Tell us about that organization and what led you to be part of it. So I'm a relationship person. As you guys probably tell, just like what you guys are, I definitely what I've learned of you, Stan. I thoroughly enjoyed meeting you in person not that long ago. Um, but we published good books here at Morgan James. And one book that we came, that came in was from an author by the name of Bobby Kipper. Bobby Kipper is a founder of the National Center for the Prevention of Community Violence. I've tried saying that fast three times. <laughs> and his book was about the solutions of gang activity. And he worked with the state of Virginia with reducing the gang rates in some of the major cities here in Virginia. But one thing I loved about him was he wasn't just talking about the problem or highlighting where the problem is coming from or who is the problem. He was like, hey, we have a problem and here's some solutions really, really resonated, definitely different than some of the books that we have been getting in around this space that we just kept turning down because we all know there's a problem, but nobody seems to be doing anything about it. There are a lot of great companies that are, but we just don't hear about them. And then Bobby came to us with a great book that was full of wonderful solutions. And we just became not only his publisher, but we became friends. And he asked me one day, he said, hey, would you mind you know, helping us out with the, you know, the nonprofit? I'm like, sure, we could donate money. I could do this, that, and other. He said, no, I want you to be on the board. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm already serving on a bunch of boards, but this is really cool. So let me think about it. And then when I finally said yes, he said, okay, what you're actually saying yes to is I want you to be chairman of the board. <laughs> I'm like, no, but it is such a great organization. And not only do they have programs to help prevent new community violence, help prevent the past that kids go to joining the gang members, but actually the real solutions with communities on solving the issue once it gets started. So it was a, it's a bit of a joy to be a part of. So we've got programs and we publish a lot of books under the brand to help make aware, but also help create the solutions for the community. And he's changed the lives. And it's uh, nationwide. 
And it's just, it's amazing. And it was its heart. Uh, the base aspect that was inherent in the situations that really led me closer and closer to them. But they do and create real chains that are measurable in schools and communities across the country. So it was an easy yes. Tough work, but an easy yes. That's great. So, David, I'm curious. You know, there must be, you know, thousands of people out around the country who have thought about writing a book, who are in the process of writing a book, you know, but, you know, there are a lot of obstacles between, you know, and I know this from my own personal experience, you know, having the idea of writing a book and actually getting it written, you know, and published is, uh, you know, is a project. So, take a little time and talk about that process and what wisdom, perspective, advice, you know, can you offer to somebody who is at that phase of thinking about this? Oh my gosh. I think the stats are, according to Publishers Weekly, like 86% of the U.S. population want to write a book. It's like that much, but a very small percentage actually do it. <laughs> so I would encourage you, if you've got that idea, if you've got uh, something on your heart that you want to share, or you're, you're working with um, you know, an idea that other people could help, I say just pursue it. Just do it. You'll have some naysayers. Don't worry about how well it's written. Don't worry about whether you can you know, speak well or if you're gradually correct, you can always hire a good editor. In fact, I tease people, I said, you can always you know, hire a new editor. Grace says you can even delete a book or start over with a new ghostwriter, but you can't fix an author that doesn't really care about their audience or doesn't have something really good to say. <laughs> but most of us get in our own way where we don't finish it or we don't start it or we start having some self-doubt. So I encourage you to just, you know, continue writing and bring some of those other assets when it comes in. And those stats are you know, pretty appalling, though, Stan. So like I said, 86%, 87 86% of the people that want to write a book, few, few actually start, even fewer finish, even fewer actually get picked up by a publisher. And if you look at HarperCollins, their stats, and they, a lot of the many brands that you may be aware of, they publish 17,000 books a year. And even with their numbers, they say, hey, only less than 2% are actually going to make it into a bookstore. So a lot of hurdles to go through, but it's worth it if you at least start. Gospite and a seed in your heart to write a book and you can help somebody else do it. Get over the naysayers, just keep writing. And the biggest thing I have is just love those around you. Some of them may come to you and say, I don't know if you really should write a book. You just keep writing. <laughs> That's the biggest challenge. Just keep writing. You can always come back yep. and fill in the gaps. So, David, one of the things I know, one of the things I'm aware of is that there are a lot, I mean, there's this whole idea that if you don't think you can write, you can hire ghostwriters. And, uh, you know, I, you know, given the amount of time and energy it takes to write a book, which I did, you know, I mean, it is a project and it is rather consuming. I know in my case, it took about three years and I think I commandeered the dining room table. My wife couldn't invite company over for at least two years because I had it covered up in all the research content. But yeah. One of the very common things now that people do is they'll develop an outline of their ideas and then hire a ghostwriter. What's your take on that? How do you feel about books that are, that are ghostwritten? I am A-OK with them. In fact, my most recent book, a book called Performance Driven Giving, it's all about the unleash the power of generosity in your business and your life. I had a really good idea, but I looked at bandwidth. I mean, I serve on a couple other boards that we haven't even mentioned here. I've run a very successful publishing house. I've got two kids. And a happy marriage, and I'm only working you know, four days a week. <laughs> so, yeah, I needed some help. But you're right. If somebody has a really good idea and flesh out really what the book to be about. So, for instance, what I did with my book is I had a really good idea. And I knew the topics I wanted to talk about. So, I fleshed out what each chapter really wanted to say, who I might want to have interviewed in the book. And I brought in an amazing gentleman by the name of Kent uh, Sanders who just interviewed me. 
we went to the outline and he just said, okay, talk. Because I could do that real quick while on the road or at the airport. I, I could just share my ideas about where I wanted the book. And he just turned it into real words. And of course, since we record them all and transcribe them, it was actually my real words, but he made them sound better <laughs> or more logical. So, How long did that process take? Took about a year. And now it sometimes could certainly be quicker, but with my business schedule, it took about a year. Yeah. So you see that as a valid approach for people that are really busy and don't have the time to commandeer the entire dining. Oh, absolutely. And there's a difference between an author and a writer. Sometimes an author is a writer, but many of us are really leveraging the fact that we've got the authorship mindset in our head, what we want to accomplish and our goals, and then a, a writer could come through and just massage it better. Even if it's just a, an editor that's even more involved than typical, I think it's a great idea. You'll hone into your skills. You don't have to learn, you know, talents that you don't inherently do well because you're wasting time. Yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah, I've thought about that. I have other books on my list of books to write, and I'm thinking, you know, this ghostwriter, you're bringing in somebody to help do this, to be a co-author or, or to, you know, to interview me and yeah. then go produce it. Sounds it's pretty attractive. Oh, my gosh. And it's so much fun to do that collaborative piece. It's just it's very rewarding. Yep. Love that. So through the work that you do, both as a publisher and through your work with these organizations that we've talked about, as well as some of the other organizations we didn't even have time to talk about today, here's your big question, David. Get ready. What is it that you hope your legacy will be? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm, my legacy, hopefully, is where we as leaders, as potential givers and family members and community involvement is I want people to be the same, find ways that they can give back to the community or give back to their family. It doesn't have to be money. It could just be time. It could be your talent. So I want my legacy to put their skills out there to benefit the world. I get a big fan of Zig Ziglar and helping others realize their goals because we get rewarded really well. And I'm going to be remembered for you know, the, either the organization or the individual that gave back in such a way that changed the world. Guys, Love it. That's what that sounded good, but it certainly made sense to me. Yes, no, it, that is fantastic. I love that. Stan, do you have any other questions or thoughts for David? No, only to underscore, that's what our podcast is about. You know, we're trying to give our own megaphone to people who are doing, who are really change agents in their families, change agents in their communities, making a real impact. And what's really important to us is to give that megaphone to people who aren't necessarily wealthy. Yeah. You know, we, you know, we haven't interviewed Bill Gates yet for this podcast, you know, but and not that we wouldn't, you know, I'm happy to see billionaires doing amazing things in the world, but I love it whenever people live down the street from me who are not wealthy, you know, come up with an idea and take responsibility for it and decide they're not going to wait for other people. They're going to actually act on their own or join with others and bring leadership to bringing an idea into reality that makes an impact. And that's what we're about. So it looks like we're on the same page here, Dave. That's right. And I have a gift for your audience if you allow me to give it to them. I didn't ask any more. We're, we're all for that. Absolutely. Go for it. Well, I uh, am blessed to be a Wall Street Journal bestseller author in my performance-driven thinking series. And the most recent book I just mentioned about is performance-driven giving. I think it would be very suited if anybody wanted to get a copy of that book. I'll give it to you for free. Just go to performancedrivengift.com. Now, how can I demonstrate the power of generosity if I don't give something away, right? So go to performanceduringgift.com and you can download the audio and the ebook for no cost. And if you love it, tell all your friends. If you hate it, we never had this conversation. Right. <laughs> I love that. Our listeners will love that. And for our listeners, we will also link that for you in the show notes. So if you didn't get a chance to write that down as you're listening, if you're driving, 
you can find that in the podcast show notes as well. David, thank you so much. And thank you for the free gift for our listeners. That's always something fun, our Oprah moment we're having today. Thanks to all of our listeners. Our guest today has been David Hancock. For more information about David and the work that he does, you can visit morganjamespublishing.com. And we will put that information for you as well as the free gift information in the show notes. David, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been a privilege. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.